Welcome, my friends, welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this 22nd day of March, 2009. I'd like to encourage all of my listeners, as always, to look into the websites CorbettReport.com and AlQaedaDoesn'tExist.com, where you can find previous episodes of this podcast as well as articles written by The Corbett Report, interviews conducted by The Corbett Report, and videos created by The Corbett Report in the past, including, of course, our forthcoming and still-coming documentary, Al-Qaeda Doesn't Exist. Also, please consider signing up for our free RSS subscription feeds so you can stay up-to-date with all of the latest podcast episodes, interviews, articles, and videos as they're uploaded to the website. And now, without further ado... Let's get to today's real news. Today's first real news story comes from the Corbett Report, 18th of March 2009. 9-11 truth activist arrested in Canadian Bush protest. Splitting the sky, shoe hurlers arrested as Calgary toasts war criminal. Noted activist, lecturer, author, and 9-11 Truth researcher Splitting the Sky was arrested outside the TELUS Convention Center in Calgary, Canada yesterday as ex-U.S. President George W. Bush delivered a speech to an assembly of Canadian oil patch executives and politicians. While Bush delivered a $400 per plate luncheon address extolling the virtues of free trade and illegal wiretapping, protesters outside the event made their voices heard. According to the National Post, 400 protesters gathered to demonstrate against Bush, with four ultimately being arrested, including splitting the sky, and at least one man who simply threw a sandal at the building where Bush was speaking. In an interview last week, splitting the sky told the Corbett Report, We're basically saying George Bush and Cheney committed war crimes in Iraq and Afghanistan, and that they were behind 9-11. They manufactured 9-11 to justify an incursion into the Mideast. Continuing, Splitting the Sky explained, We intend to create a big welcoming party and condemn Bush for the war crimes, for the thousands of people who have died because of this manufactured war. WarCriminalsOut.com is now reporting that Splitting the Sky was arrested for assault and obstruction after attempting to enter the convention center in an apparent effort to perform a citizen's arrest of Bush on behalf of those tortured and murdered during his reign as president. He is being aided in his defense by Gail Davidson of Lawyers Against the War and former U.S. Attorney General Ramsey Clark. Our second real news story this week comes to us from cbsnews.com, March 15, 2009. Conspiracy theorists scrutinize Obama ties. 
The highest levels of the Obama administration are infested with members of a shadowy, elitist cabal intent on installing a one-world government that subverts the will of the American people. It sounds crazy, but that's what a group of very persistent conspiracy theorists insists, and they point to President Obama's nominee for Health and Human Services Secretary, Kansas Governor Kathleen Sebelius, as the latest piece of evidence supporting their claims. It turns out that Sebelius, like top administration economists Timothy Geithner, Larry Summers, and Paul Volcker, as well as leading Obama diplomats Richard Holbrook and Dennis Ross, is a Bilderberger. That is, she is someone who has participated in the annual invitation-only conference held by an elite international organization known as the Bilderberg Group. The group, which takes its name from the Dutch Hotel where it held its first meeting in 1954, exists solely to bring together between 100 and 150 titans of politics, finance, military, industry, academia, and media from North America and Western Europe once a year to discuss world affairs. It doesn't issue policy statements or resolutions, nor does it hold any events other than an annual meeting. Past participants have included Margaret Thatcher, who attended the 1975 meeting at Turkey's Golden Dolphin Hotel, former media mogul Conrad Black, who has been to more than a dozen conferences, and Bill Clinton, Tony Blair, Condoleezza Rice, Donald Rumsfeld, Queen Beatrix of the Netherlands, King Juan Carlos of Spain, and top officials of BP, IBM, Barclays, and the Bank of England. It is precisely that exclusive roster of globally influential figures that has captured the interest of an international network of conspiracists who for decades have viewed the Bilderberg Conference as a devious corporate globalist scheme. The fulminating is aggravated by Obama's preference for surrounding himself with well-credentialed, well-connected, and well-traveled elites. His personal choices have touched a populist, even paranoid nerve among those who are convinced powerful elites and secret societies are moving the planet toward a new world order. I don't laugh at the people who claim that they understand the connections, but I've never really spent much time tra tracing that through, said Representative Ron Paul, a former presidential candidate whose libertarian sensibilities have made him a darling of the Bilderberg conspiracists. The one thing that concerns me is that the people who surround Obama or Bush generally come from the same philosophic viewpoint, and they have their organizations. They have the Trilateral Commission, the CFR, and the Bilderbergers, and they've been around a long time. And my biggest concern is what they preach. Keynesian economics and interventionism and world planning, he said. Obama's selection of numerous Bilderbergers for key posts certainly would verify their suspicions, said Paul, referring to fears of the group's influence. And I don't think it's just Obama. Whether it's the Republicans or the Democrats, Goldman Sachs generally has somebody in Treasury. And the big banks generally have somebody in the Federal Reserve. And they're international people, too. And they're people working very hard this weekend with the G20. And they get involved in the IMF. But that is their stated goal. They do believe in a powerful centralized government, and we believe in the opposite. Our final real news story today comes from the Sydney Morning Herald, the 17th of March, 2009. Banned hyperlinks could cost you $11,000 a day. The Australian communications regulator says it will fine people who hyperlink to sites on its blacklist which has been further expanded to include several pages on the anonymous whistleblower site WikiLeaks. 
WikiLeaks was added to the blacklist for publishing a leaked document containing Denmark's list of banned websites. The move by the Australian Communications and Media Authority comes after it threatened the host of online broadband discussion forum Whirlpool last week with $11,000 a day fine over a link published in its forum to another page blacklisted by ACMA, an anti-abortion website. ACMA's blacklist does not have a significant impact on web browsing by Australians today, but sites contained on it will be blocked for everyone if the federal government implements its mandatory internet filtering censorship scheme. But even without the mandatory censorship scheme, as is evident in the Whirlpool case, ACMA can force sites hosted in Australia to remove prohibited pages and even links to prohibited pages. Online civil liberties campaigners have seized on the move by ACMA as evidence of how casually the regulator adds to its list of blacklisted sites. It also confirmed fears that the scope of the government censorship plan could easily be expanded to encompass sites that are not illegal. Welcome, my friends. Welcome to episode 80 of the Corbett Report, the summer of our discontent. Now is the summer of our discontent, made nuclear winter by the Sons of Liberty. Or, at least, that's what the predictive programmers so fervently wish to see happen. Following a disputed election and a tie vote, the U.S. Congress installs the most unpopular president in U.S. history as David Jefferson Adams becomes the 44th president of the United States. Shortly after the election, increased unrest, rioting, and a growing number of militias have given rise to ever-increasing domestic terrorism. In response, the president invokes the Homeland Security Act and declares martial law on the West Coast and other areas of the country. Though highly contested, a Supreme Court ruling sidesteps the electoral process, disqualifying popular presidential candidates from several states. Public outrage explodes when a sham election leads to incumbent David Adams accepting a second term in office. During the 57th Inauguration Day ceremonies, Washington, D.C. is struck by a low-yield nuclear weapon, killing David Adams and most of the U.S. Congress. The destruction of Washington, D.C. effectively breaks the chain of succession, sending the nation into chaos. In an emergency vote, the European Union deploys peacekeepers in the greater D.C. area to secure international interests. With separatist sentiment rising, California's governor declares home rule and secedes from the Union. Texas follows quickly and declares sovereignty, taking neighboring states with them and forming the Republic of Texas. Now. Once United States of America lie in ruin. The time for words has passed, and a second American Civil War now erupts as seven factions wage war across the land. They battle one another to reclaim a nation, to restore peace, to rebuild this shattered union.
That, of course, is the trailer for the 2005 PC game Shattered Union. And the story may have seemed extremely far-fetched at the time, but less and less so with each passing day. Of course, for those of you who have not really deeply considered how we are being psychologically conditioned through the culture creation industry to program us to expect a certain series of events and eventually to accept them when they happen, rest assured that's a topic that the Corbett Report podcast will be covering in much greater length in the future. But for now, I'd like to turn to real-world events and see how they might be playing into, if not that scenario precisely, something very much along those lines. I think it would be instructive to start by playing a series of audio clips demonstrating an increasing trend towards the outright Nazification of the state, not only in the United States, but of course also in Canada, Britain, Australia, indeed much of the developed world. Although, of course, one could go far back in history to begin looking at the ways that the original ideals of the Magna Carta, the U.S. Constitution, and other such documents of freedom and liberty have been slowly co-opted to bring us into a militarized police state. But why don't we start by taking a look at the 1980s and the Iran-Contra hearings, where Representative Jack Brooks attempted to question Oliver North about some disturbing plans for suspending the United States Constitution. Colonel North, in your work at the uh, NSC, were you not assigned at one time to work on plans for the continuity of government in the event of a major disaster? Mr. Chairman. I believe that question touches upon a highly sensitive and classified area. So may I request that you not touch upon that, sir? I was particularly concerned, Mr. Chairman, because I read in Miami papers and several others that there had been a plan uh, developed by that same agency, a contingency plan in the event of emergency that would suspend the American Constitution, and I was deeply concerned about it, and wondered if that was the area in which he had worked. I believe yeah, that he was. Yeah, I most, I to get may I most respectfully request that that matter not be touched upon at this stage. If we wish to get into this, uncertain arrangements can be made for an executive session. Flash forward to the chaotic days and weeks following the 9-11 attacks, and during the anthrax hysteria, during which the Bush administration used the problem and the reaction of panic in order to create their solution of a new federal agency and new draconian legislation, which would have been unthinkable without those events. I know many citizens have fears tonight, and I ask you to be calm and resolute, even in the face of a continuing threat. So tonight I announced the creation of a cabinet-level position reporting directly to me, the Office of Homeland Security. As a direct result of the September 11th attacks, the Bush administration sought to the creation of the USA Patriot Act and the formation of the Department of Homeland Security. The USA Patriot Act 
circumvents the U.S. Constitution and invalidates most of our treasured rights in this country. It may seem perfectly acceptable to most Americans that they would have to relinquish some of their rights to gain some sense of safety. But somewhere along the way, someone forgot the fact that it's not our government that gives us our freedoms. They are inalienable rights, and they cannot be taken away. The people of the United States have simply been conditioned to give their rights away freely. The USA Patriot Act seems less of a tool to fight terrorism and more of an instrument to monitor and track and intimidate everyday law-abiding citizens in this country. It is a blueprint for a modern-day, American-style Soviet Union. Some in this chamber and in our country did not support the liberation of Iraq. The Patriot Act defines the term domestic terrorism in such broad terms that anyone who might simply speak out about the current administration or engage in political protest could be labeled as a domestic terrorist. When we're talking about chasing down terrorists, we're talking about getting a court order before we do so. The U.S. government can monitor all Internet activity and phone conversations of any person, anywhere, anytime. Law enforcement officers have the legal authority to break into your home and conduct sneak and peek searches of your belongings. They can do this at any time without your knowledge and without your consent. And they can do this without the need for probable cause and without a search warrant. The terrorist threats against us will not expire at the end of the year and neither should the protections of the Patriot Act. U.S. citizens may be incarcerated indefinitely without charges ever being filed without access to an attorney, without access to the courts, without a phone call, and completely without due process. Jump to October 2006 and the passage of the Military Commissions Act. Our fifth story on the countdown. President Bush, happy habeas corpus day. First thing this morning, the president signed into law the Military Commissions Act of 2006 which does away with habeas corpus, the right of suspected terrorists or anybody else to know why they have been imprisoned, provided the president does not think it should apply to you and declares you an enemy combatant. Further, the bill allows the CIA to continue using interrogation techniques so long as they do not cause what is deemed, quote, serious physical or mental pain. And it lets the president to ostensibly pick and choose which parts of the Geneva Convention to obey. Though to hear him describe this, this repudiation, the freedoms, for which all our soldiers have died, is a good thing. In April of 2007, the British Ministry of Defense releases a 90-page report predicting wide-scale revolution, which would require the British military to engage its own citizens. And here's what was in The Guardian. Monday, April the 9th, 2007. And who was selected to write this? Richard Norton-Taylor. Norton-Taylor. Double, we call that double-barreled name. It's more impressive than John Smith or something like that. And it says here, Protective chemical suits. The Ministry of Defense predicts more use of chemical weapons. They predict it. Eh? They predict more use of chemical weapons. This is how they they give their statements to the British public and, and to the world. Not how they came to this conclusion or anything, or, or the think tanks that uh, were paid millions to go through these scenarios. 
every kind of scenario you can imagine. And he goes on to say, information chips implanted in the brain, electromagnetic pulse weapons, the middle classes becoming revolutionary, taking on the role of Marx's proletariat, the population of countries in the Middle East increasing by 132%, while Europe's drops as fertility falls. Flash mobs, they love, they love the lingo. Lingo is these little words that they come up with, flash mobs. Flash mobs, which are groups rapidly mobilized by criminal gangs or terrorist groups. Now let's just go over this little paragraph here. As I say, look at how this is presented to the public. This is standard British predictive programming. It's giving you uh, fear on one hand, without explaining exactly why they've come to these conclusions as to what's going to happen. But it's, it gives us a fear in the public. Um, it should also terrify the middle class because it tells the middle class something which has been suspected for a long time. Uh, they are definitely to be gotten rid of by this psychopathic elite because they have not worried about uh, lower psychopaths with, with less power from the lower classes jumping up there and taking over. They're worried about some people in the middle classes doing it because they, that's where most of them came from. You see, they worked their way up from the bottom, middle, and the top. August 2007 and the revelations in the mainstream corporate-controlled media of the existence of a program to recruit preachers to preach obedience to government to their congregations in the event that the American government declares martial law. law ever become a reality in America? Some fear any nuclear, biological, or chemical attack on U.S. territory might trigger just that. And as KSLA News 12 Jeff Farrell discovered, the clergy would help the government with potentially their biggest problem. Us. From my cold, dead hands. Charlton Heston's famous declaration captures a truly American value, the overarching desire to protect our freedoms. But gun confiscation is exactly what happened during the state of emergency following Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. U.S. troops also arrived, something far easier to do even now thanks to last year's elimination of the 1878 Posse Comitatus Act. That forbid U.S. troops from policing on American soil. If martial law were enacted here at home, like depicted in the movie The Siege, easing public fears and quelling dissent would be critical. And that's exactly what the clergy response team, as it's called, helped accomplish in New Orleans. Uh, Jeff, the primary thing that we say to anybody is let's cooperate and get this thing over with and then we'll settle the differences once the crisis is over. Such clergy response teams would walk a tightrope between the needs of the government versus the wishes of the public. In a lot of cases, these clergy would already be known in the neighborhoods in which they're helping to defuse that situation. For the clergy, one of the biggest tools that they will have in helping calm the public down or obey the law is the Bible itself, specifically Romans, Romans 13. Because the government is established by the Lord, you know, and, uh, and that's what we believe in the Christian faith. That's what's stated in the Scripture. In February of 2008, a new Department of Homeland Security and FBI joint venture known as InfraGuard is revealed. InfraGuard consists of 23,000 members of private industry 
who are deputized during the event of martial law and even given shoot-to-kill license. More than 23,000 representatives of private industry are working quietly in collaboration with the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security. This according to an exclusive report in the Progressive magazine. The business leaders form a group known as InfraGuard that receives warnings of terrorist threats directly from the FBI before the public does. In return, they provide information to the government. According to one whistleblower, the FBI has given members of InfraGuard permission to shoot to kill in the event of martial law. In September 2008, the Army Times reports that Brigade Homeland Tours would start on October 1st. Beginning in October, the Army plans to station an active unit inside the United States for the first time to serve as an on-call federal response in times of emergency. The 3rd Infantry Division's 1st Brigade Combat Team has spent 35 of the last 60 months in Iraq, but now the unit's training for domestic operations. The unit will soon be under the day-to-day control of U.S. Army North, the Army Service Component of Northern Command. The Army Times reports this new mission marks the first time an active unit has been given a dedicated assignment to Northern Command. The paper says the Army unit may be called upon to help with civil unrest and crowd control. The soldiers are learning to use so-called non-lethal weapons designed to subdue unruly or dangerous individuals. In December 2008, the Washington Post reports on the Pentagon's plan to have 20,000 uniformed troops operating inside the United States by 2011. The report, entitled Pentagon to Detail Troops to Bolster Domestic Security, reads in part, quote, The U.S. military expects to have 20,000 uniformed troops inside the United States by 2011, trained to help state and local officials respond to a nuclear terrorist attack or other domestic catastrophe, according to Pentagon officials. The long-planned shift in the Defense Department's role in homeland security was recently backed with funding and troop commitments after years of prodding by Congress and outside experts, defense analysts said. There are critics of the change in the military and among civil liberties groups and libertarians who express concern that the new homeland emphasis threatens to strain the military and possibly undermine the Posse Comitatus Act, a 130-year-old federal law restricting the military's role in domestic law enforcement. But the Bush administration and some in Congress have pushed for a heightened homeland military role since the middle of this decade, saying the greatest domestic threat is terrorists exploiting the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. Before the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, dedicating 20,000 troops to domestic response a nearly sevenfold increase in five years, would have been extraordinary to the point of unbelievable, Paul McHale, Assistant Defense Secretary for Homeland Defense, said in remarks last month at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. But the realization that civilian authorities may be overwhelmed in a catastrophe prompted a fundamental change in military culture, he said. End quote. In December of 2008, Local ABC News affiliate in California, KESQ, reports on their website, KESQ.com, that the California Highway Patrol was working together with the 29 Palms Marine Base 
to set up a DUI checkpoint in blatant violation of Posse Comitatus. On March 1st, 2008, the Sunday Express in the UK carries the following report under the headline MI5 Alert on Bank Riots. Quote, Top secret contingency plans have been drawn up to counter the threat posed by a summer of discontent in Britain. The double whammy of the worst economic crisis in living memory and a motley crew of political extremists determined to stir up civil disorder has led to the extraordinary step of the army being put on standby. MI5 and Special Branch are targeting activists they fear could inflame anger over job losses and payouts to the failed bankers. End quote. On March 4, 2009, the Toronto Star runs a report on the Star.com under the headline Military May Patrol Bar Zone in Barrie, and the subheadline Police Chief Agreeable to Having Army Officers Help His Squad to Curb Weekend Rowdyism. Quote, City police and Camp Borden officers are discussing using joint street patrols to help keep the peace in Barrie's busy entertainment district on peak weekends. Teaming up with military police to patrol the bar zone is a concept we wouldn't have any real problems with, Barry Chief Wayne Frechette said in an interview. Would extra bodies help us? Sure. End quote. On March 11, 2009, Infowars.com ran a story under the headline, U.S. Army puts soldiers on the street in Alabama in response to shootings. Quote, the U.S. Army dispatched soldiers to patrol the streets of Sampson, Alabama, a small southern town where a rampaging gunman killed 10 people on Tuesday. This obvious violation of the Posse Comitatus Act, prohibiting the federal uniformed services from exercising state and local law enforcement, was completely ignored by the corporate media with the exception of Reuters and the London Telegraph. End quote. All of this, all of these reports, all of this build-up towards the militarization and the use of the military of Canada, of America, of Britain, against their own citizens, all of the apparatus and machinery for the martial law takeover of our supposedly free countries, which has been building up for years and years and years, if not decades and decades and decades, can be found in all of the documentation just cited, which, of course, my listeners can go to CorbettReport.com and access via the documentation list for today's episode, but also in hundreds, if not thousands, of other reports which we don't have time to cover. It's important to realize that the flurry of activity that we've seen in the last few weeks alone with numerous reports of the military preparing to engage the citizens of the free countries of the developed world is part of a much larger, much longer plan that has been developing over the course of decades, and that it would require a great deal of research to tease out even just the main points, and that we've passed over many important points, even in the thorough analysis that we just made, including, of course, the attempt to scrap Posse Comitatus in the United States via the John Warner Defense Authorization Act, and other numerous pieces of the puzzle, including an excellent and informative article from the San Francisco Chronicle entitled Rule by Fear or Rule by Law, co-written by Louis Seeler and Dan Hamburg in February of 2008. The article starts with a quotation from Winston Churchill from November 21, 1943. The power of the executive to cast a man into prison without formulating any charge known to the law 
and particularly to deny him the judgment of his peers, is in the highest degree odious, and is the foundation of all totalitarian government, whether Nazi or communist. The article then goes on to detail just how that is happening in the United States, and I'll read a section therefrom. Quote, Since 9-11, and seemingly without the notice of most Americans, the federal government has assumed the authority to institute martial law, arrest a wide swath of dissidents, citizen and non-citizen alike, and detain people without legal or constitutional recourse in the event of an emergency influx of immigrants in the U.S., or to support the rapid development of new programs. Beginning in 1999, the government has entered into a series of single-bid contracts with Halliburton subsidiary Kellogg, Brown & Root, KBR, to build detention camps at undisclosed locations within the United States. End quote. That is an extremely important article, and I would suggest that my listeners get it, read it, and send it out to others, as it does detail much of the history of at least the last few years and the build-up towards the militarization of the police state in America. Dan Hamburg, one of the co-authors of that article, was a congressman in California's first district from 1993 to 1995. He is currently executive director of Voice of the Environment at voiceoftheenvironment.org, and he is a charter member of the new organization Political Leaders for 9-11 Truth at pl911truth.com. Recently, I had the chance to talk to Mr. Hamburg about this buildup of the police state in America and how the current economic crisis may play out into a situation where martial law is declared. How do you think that the economic crisis may in fact play out into a situation of economic, uh, sorry, of civil unrest. And extrapolating on that, what do you think will be the likely outcomes of the government actions in such an environment? Well, um, you know, I, 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 I fear the, you know, I, I really fear the worst if, um, if, if people become so desperate that they begin to take to, you know, Take to the streets and protest and and become become active in that way and and I think anybody who has has watched the increasingly um, aggressive uh, stance of of uh, police forces, uh, city, state, and, and federal. Um, most recently, I think we saw this in. Uh, uh, in Minneapolis, uh, where the Republican uh, National Convention was happening, and and the police, uh, you know, really ran amok, uh, going after uh, uh, people that were not even demonstrating, but were thought to be potentially, uh, uh, you know, people who might be disruptive. Uh, I don't think any of us can forget what happened in Seattle in 1999, and what's happened at at subsequent uh, WTO. Uh, sites. I mean, what I'm saying is that uh, the police are are becoming increasingly hard nosed, and um, I think people uh, uh, who are willing to take to the streets of America will have to be ready to uh, to deal with you know with very uh, very aggressive. Uh, uh, action to contain them and control them and and perhaps to uh, to detain them and 
and maybe to detain them uh, for long periods of time. So there, there's that. In terms of how this economic meltdown is going to play out, you know, as I, as I said before, I don't think I don't think we've really seen the bottom of this by any means. I don't think we've seen the um, you know all these uh, all these uh, credit default swaps and the derivatives and the, you know all these fancy financial instruments that are out there that some economists say represent uh, you know a hundred trillion dollars, two hundred trillion dollars. There's a lot more hell to pay, and and every day you know when we uh, turn our computers and and uh, and you know look at what's going on around the world. There's always a dramatic new story. I think today it was uh, it was the story of Citibank and, and needing another major infusion of federal dollars. And when you're talking about the largest banks in the United States basically being zombies, being walking dead, and you know it's led to this whole uh, major discussion in this country about whether the banks should be nationalized. And now you even have people like Alan Greenspan and Senator Lindsey Graham, who's a you know a Rock Rib Republican uh, uh, senator from South Carolina. You know, talking about the need to nationalize the banks. I mean, these these guys are scared. I mean, I think the elites are very. I think the elites do not have a handle on this, and uh, I think Barack Obama. Uh, really showed his hand and at the same time um, kind of showed the limits of his um, of his wisdom when he appointed uh, you know basically Clinton retreads and people who are uh, responsible for this meltdown to be his you know the leaders of his economic team I'm talking about Tim Geithner I'm talking about Larry Summers um, talking about this whole this whole crew that was uh, just as enthusiastic about deregulation as was Senator Phil Graham uh, of Texas and, and some of these uh, right-wing Republicans. So um, there's plenty of blame to go around. But in terms of Obama, I really fear that he is uh, the captive of the interests that created him. I mean, I think I think I heard you mention on your program that, uh, you know, how does a guy go, go from being an Illinois state senator to being president of the United States in, in, in four years? He, that doesn't happen unless there's, uh, you know, a very big confluence of money and, uh, and heavy hitters behind him. And I, I think in Obama's case, a lot of it is the, the trilateral commission, you know, Brzezinski, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a different uh, branch of elites than those that, that put George W. Bush into power. But all the same, uh, uh, those those elites share a lot, and one thing they share is the idea that the United States is a hegemon, and that it is our uh, our right and our responsibility uh, to be the dominant power on the face of the earth. That interview with Dan Hamburg, and of course all of the interviews conducted by the Corbett Report, can be downloaded from the homepage. CorbettReport.com. Certainly, Dan Hamburg is not the only one who's concerned about the way in which this militarization of the police state is unfolding. As subscribers to the Corbett Report's free interviews RSS feed will be aware, we talk to Marsha Reed, the managing editor of GeopoliticalMonitor.com, each month. And in our monthly discussions, we talk about geopolitical situations which have world historical relevance. 
These discussions are important because they often highlight stories that are flying under the controlled corporate media's radar, but stories that are developing into extremely important situations. An example of that would be our conversation on January 29, 2009, in which we talked about how Mexico may be becoming the world's next failed state, shortly before that story broke in the corporate-controlled media. So it was with great interest that I talked to Marsha Reed on March 11th of this year to get GeopoliticalMonitor.com's take on the buildup of military deployments on the domestic front to counter the growing civil unrest due to the economic crisis. Let's listen to a part of my conversation with Marsha Reed. So Marsha Reed, what can you tell us about the economic crisis and the way that's breaking down into possible domestic military operations in Canada, America, and the UK? Well, one of the interesting things about this uh, situation, this economic crisis, is just how bad it, it's really um, spiraled or gotten out of control. Uh, everyone's concerned about President Obama's stimulus package. Everyone's concerned about how uh, the global economy is going to be reformed and which particular countries are going to play a role in that uh, reform. But there's another thing that's interesting about this economic crisis is just exactly how it's affecting domestic policy in Western countries. What we've already seen in terms of globally uh, trends is that a lot of governments are uh, almost on the brink of collapse. We've seen Iceland and Latvia actually fall be directly related to the economic crisis. So these are two countries, uh, especially Iceland, which has been a model for economic growth and was uh, voted last year as the best country uh, in the world to live in. And now we've seen its economy implode, and as a result, its government has fallen. We've also seen in Latvia, uh, in January, there was a lot of unrest and protesting because of the economy, and subsequently the Latvian government has also collapsed. So these are two economies or two governments that have been directly affected and brought down by the global economy. So now we've seen Western countries, in particular their military and, and intelligence agencies, are preparing for this economic crisis uh, by training uh, their reserve troops and their soldiers for possible civil unrest as soon as this summer. Uh, starting, it was in November of 2008, the U.S. Army War College actually released a report that was called Known Unknowns, uh, Defense Strategy Development, uh, like a defense strategy development report, Known Unknowns, Unconventional Strategic Shocks. And it sort of detailed this um, contingency plan uh, for any uh, uncivil unrest that would occur because of economic collapse, so any biological, chemical uh, disturbances or um, situations or, or um, attacks because of civil unrest, any rioting, uh, any uh, contingency plans for troops to prepare for this. Uh, we've seen with um, the UK as well, MI5 is stepping up surveillance on uh, ac um, activist groups and in general, just preparing for this unrest and political instability because of the recession. We also have Canadian troops and the Canadian military preparing for economic unrest by uh, reorienting its reserve and uh, reserves and uh, troops towards domestic breakdown. Uh, so even Canada, which p many people think of as this very benign middle power with no aspirations for um, you know, any aggressive policies of any sort is also preparing for uh, domestic 
operations as a result of the economy collapsing and causing civil unrest. So you have these Western powers which are taking heed of all the instability that's occurring because of this economic crisis and are now preparing for what could be a, a summer of unrest. Well, absolutely. And this is a, a topic that we've been covering on the Corbett Report for some time. There's been a long buildup towards this, but certainly it's intensifying now that the economic collapse is uh, precipitating uh, basically more of a fallout in terms of uh, domestic unrest. Can you talk about some of the stories that have been coming out of um, in England in particular, I'm thinking of, but other places as well regarding the, uh, the civil unrest that is now fomenting because of the economic collapse? Right. Well, I mean, in terms of uh, any incidences that sort of uh, lend credence to this idea of there being civil unrest, um, there's been a lot of uh, protests, a lot of organized protests, and, and just general uh, dissatisfaction with any financial policies uh, that the government uh, in these respective countries have been coming up with. Um, but you also have these other indications that there are preparations for civil unrest because of the amount of money being put into training in the various reports. Um, that are being released by these military and intelligence agencies. Uh, now with the UK, there already is this huge debate on the potential for the UK to become this big brother state because of the increase of um, their um, putting in uh, CCTV uh, cameras all throughout the country to keep um, a closer surveil surveillance on groups, as well as I mentioned the actual... Um, the, the MI5 actually uh, taking close uh, note and close watch of various activist groups um, that really wouldn't really register on anyone's radar, whether it's environmental groups or just civil um, and social networks. Uh, we have in the United States that they've uh, recently spent about $6 million on riot gear, uh, which is quite interesting that this coincides within a few months of the U.S. Army War College's report which was released in, in November as well. And then in Canada, just the, um, as I mentioned, the reorientation of uh, the reserves, um, preparing them for, towards uh, any domestic um, collapse or any horrible events such as a biological, chemological, uh, chemical, radiological, or, or nuclear attacks of any sort, or massive poisoning, um, crowd control, things that, you know, might normally be considered in a very like worst case scenarios, but are now seeming to come up more frequently uh, in terms of uh, training and in terms of reports and the urgency of doing this um, before the summer, which seems to be one of the more perfect times for uh, organized uh, social or civil unrest. And we even have uh, top officials uh, and former um, officials uh, within the U.S. government. Uh, I recall former uh, National Security Advisor uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski even mentioning that the United States could witness riots if the economy uh, continues its downward spiral and that these class divisions are being exacerbated and widened by the fact that uh, a lot of people are losing their jobs and they don't really feel that uh, the United States is a meritocracy like it claims it is because we have people on Wall Street with their golden parachutes uh, seemingly escaping justice while uh, Main Street suffers and people are losing their homes because of foreclosures so there's just this sense of um, immense anger and uh, pessimism and cynicism from the public in these various countries. There are a number of threads to pick up from this discussion, but the one that I want to focus on is the incredibly important point that Marsha raised in that discussion, namely 
that it seems as if the populations of Canada, the United States, Western Europe, and other developed nations are being pushed into a situation where they will riot. Certainly, as we've seen already in this week's episode, we know that the government is and has been preparing for this eventuality for a long time. In fact, all of the machinery of the police state, which was being built up under the guise of the War on Terror, has been wheeled around and is now pointed directly at the citizens themselves, who, of course, are expected to riot as the economic situation continues to worsen. And now, this is becoming a mainstream talking point. Of course, many of my listeners will be aware of Glenn Beck on Fox News, who has recently begun talking about the New World Order, the One World banking system that's being slotted into place, and the preparations for martial law. In fact, of course, Glenn Beck also recently covered the Mayak Report, which we talked about in last week's Real News segment, which effectively makes all Ron Paul supporters, libertarians, campaign for liberty supporters, or people who voted for Bob Barr, Chuck Baldwin, or Ron Paul as potential terrorists in the eyes of the Missouri State Police. Now, when someone like Glenn Beck covers this, he'll use terms like the Bubba effect, which is designed to make it seem as if all of this is going to come to a head because some drunken redneck is going to go trigger-happy on some illegal alien someday and start a civil war. Of course, from my perspective, I believe it's obvious that Glenn Beck is not on our side, and that he is in fact trying to foster a state of mind of fear and hatred which will incite the very violence which he seems to be against. And now we have Chuck Norris going on Glenn Beck's program to talk about becoming the president of the Republic of Texas when it secedes from the Union, and all of a sudden the shattered Union scenario starts to look more and more and more like an actual possible scenario. Is this what we want? Well, one possible answer for that comes from the David Icke website, and an article which he recently put out entitled, Please Don't Riot, It's Just What They Want. Quote, the global economic collapse is designed to trigger a stream of benefits to the Illuminati agenda. One, as I have said from the start, is to use this as an excuse to impose a global economic dictatorship controlled by a world central bank. But there are many other solutions and connected benefits that are planned to be exploited, and we need to be streetwise to them. The one I want to emphasize here is the need to stay calm and react peacefully to what is happening. This is not easy when there is so much stress and fear around with regard to the economic present and future, but we need to do it all the same or we will walk straight into a massive trap that has been set for us. Let's get this straight. They want you to riot in response to the unfolding economic catastrophe, and we are already seeing people falling for this. Why would the authorities want people to riot? Readers of my books over the years will see the answer immediately. They want an excuse to bring in a fully-fledged police state all over the world, and people who riot in their desperation, instigated invariably by agent provocateur, are just the excuse they are looking for. Be very, very aware of anyone who starts rioting, or encourages others to do so, amid peaceful demonstrations. Who are they, and why are they doing this, when it is handing all the aces to the system to impose a police state? They are either stupid or agents of that state. 
I have met few more concrete-minded or naive people than those that are termed the extreme end of the political left. They have been played like a violin for hundreds of years to change the world in the image of the Illuminati blueprint in violent revolutions to bring down the established order. Now they are being gathered again to complete the journey to global tyranny and provide the violence and chaos that is designed to open the way to a world government, world army, world central bank, world electronic currency, and a microchipped population connected to the global positioning satellite system, or GPS, among many other technologies of surveillance and control. The riots and looting they want to see, the chaos, will be met with the installation of a police state with curfews, jail without trial, the military on the streets, and the activation of the concentration camps for dissidents that we have long warned about. They are officially called military installations, run by FEMA, the deeply sinister Federal Emergency Management Agency, and it is no coincidence, of course, that a bill numbered H.R. 645 is passing through Washington to direct the Secretary of Homeland Security to establish national emergency centers on military installations. No, concentration camps and other countries will have them prepared also. We need to come together in mutual support, love, kindness, and empathy. We need to put aside the manufactured fault lines that divide us, religion, politics, race, culture, and income bracket. That is not to say people have to reject their beliefs, just don't let them be weapons of division. We are all in this together, and we need to meet the challenge together, not steal from each other, loot, or riot, or look the other way because something happening to someone else is not my problem. They are not seeking to enslave Muslims, Jews, black people, or white middle-class Americans, and so on. They are seeking to do it to all of us, and they are picking off different groups one by one, just like the Nazis did in Germany. Let us unite behind that which affects everyone, the loss of our most basic freedoms. And if this is being planned now, what kind of world are our children and grandchildren going to live in? Can you live with that thought while doing nothing or rioting as the authorities want? I can't. We need to start getting organized in communities and groups to support each other and stop cooperating with the system, not to fight it. The system can only exist with our cooperation and acquiescence. We are holding it together. They have their men and women of violence, called the military and SWAT teams, to deal with violent resistance. But their worst nightmare is our non-cooperation. The refusal to pay taxes, refusal to leave homes when banks foreclose on them, refusal to comply with our own enslavement in any form. The system couldn't cope if this was done on a mass scale, and that's the point. To do this we need to do it en masse, and those not immediately affected need to support those who are. End quote. A very troubling example of exactly what David Icke is talking about in that article can be found in a post on the UK Libertarian Party's unofficial blog from the 3rd of March 2009 under the title, The Summer of Rage Could Be Lethal. Quote, On 20th of February 2008, a caucus meeting was held at the German Parliament in Munich to discuss the Lisbon Treaty. At this meeting, a previously unmentioned paragraph was brought to light by Professor Schachtschneider, Humanities Faculty, 
University of Nuremberg. Professor Schachtschneider explained that the undisclosed paragraph means on ratification of the Lisbon Treaty, the death penalty will be reintroduced to Europe. The death penalty will be applicable for the crimes of rioting, civil upheaval, and during war. When are we not at war, and who will define riot and upheaval? Professor Schachtschneider made the point that this clause is particularly outrageous, as it had been cleverly hidden in a footnote of a footnote, and would not have been detected by anyone other than an exceptional expert reader. End quote. It should be apparent, from a consideration of all the pieces of the puzzle presented in today's episode, that the martial law threat is a very real one, and one that we have to take very seriously. And of course, it's important to keep in mind that this is psychological warfare as much as actual warfare on the street. Martial law continues to be threatened against the American people, as it was even this week in Schenectady, New York, where the mayor declared that martial law may be the only way to police the town as the town goes through a transitional period of getting rid of some corrupt police officers. And just by a coincidence, Mayor Stratton of Schenectady, New York, happened to be one of 40 mayors who met with Obama last Friday to discuss the stimulus plan and the fallout from that plan. And of course, we all know how Congress was threatened with martial law if they didn't pass the banker bailout bill in October of last year. And of course, we've seen martial law being implemented in numerous towns to limited degrees over the years. So it's important to keep in mind that as this police state is slotted into place, it will always be done on a limited scale and in a limited way as a way of conditioning people to get used to the idea before it is ever implemented on a wide scale. In fact, it should be obvious from episode 47 in which we discussed problem-reaction-solution that the people who are engineering these problems and directing our reactions through the controlled corporate media, like Glenn Beck of Fox News, always make their solutions, in this case the full implementation of martial law, something desirable by the public. If they get their wish and rioting breaks out in large scale, then it's difficult to see how anyone would oppose the restoration of law and order, even if it were to come at the barrel of a gun held by a military officer. At the point where total desperation takes over, we are all willing to accept anything that they offer as their solution. So what is the answer to this conundrum? Is it the dissolution of the Union, like in Shattered Union? Do we need President Chuck Norris of the Republic of Texas? Should we be rioting like they are already in much of Western Europe and in places like Iceland? How can we bring the criminals in charge of the unfolding economic catastrophe to justice? Unfortunately, there are no easy solutions to this problem. We've already been backed into a corner where saving the economy as we've known it may in fact be impossible. How to rebuild that economy, or how best to restructure the government even to go so far as to reform the American Union, become real questions which we have to start dealing with. But the most important thing to remember is that that dialogue can only take place when we and those around us are fully informed and aware of not only what is happening, but who is behind what is happening. Without those crucial pieces of the puzzle, any action we take, including rioting, 
will be simply playing into their hands. Forewarned is forearmed, and this is the small window of opportunity that we have to start showing others exactly how this economic catastrophe has been engineered and exactly who has been behind that engineering. We also have to expose how the build-up to martial law has been taking place for years and decades, so that when it is finally implemented on a wide scale, people will be aware that it is not simply a random concatenation of events, but part of a much larger plan. And to know where we are in that plan is the only chance we have of being able to effectively resist it. So once again, I exhort all of my listeners to start conducting their own research. As I say, there are thousands of data points, thousands of pieces of this puzzle, which I haven't been able to fit into this podcast episode, but which are nonetheless vital to an understanding of what's taking place right now. Now is the time to act in the Infowar to inform ourselves and others while we still have access to the free internet and while we still have a roof over our head and food on the table, because that is not guaranteed forever. That's it for this week. Thank you for joining me, and I ask you to join me again next week for episode 81 of the Corbett Report, Surviving the Collapse. I'm your masters of war. Here they build the big guns. Here they build the death planes. Here they build all the bombs. Here they hide behind the wall. It hide behind discs I just don't want you to know I can see through your masks You that never done nothing But build to destroy You play with my world Like it's your little toy You put a gun in my hand Then you hide from my eyes Then you turn and run farther When the fast bullets fly Like Judas of old You lie and deceive A world war can be won You want me to believe But I see through your eyes And I see through your brain Like I see through the water that runs down my drain You fasten all the triggers For the others to fire And then you sit back and watch When the death count gets higher You hide in your mansion On the young people's blood Flows out of their bodies and is buried in the mud He's thrown the worst fear They can ever be hurled Fear to bring children 
into the world of all threatening my baby unborn and unnamed you ain't worth the blood that runs in your veins how much do I know but to talk out of turn the think tanks they employ go through every scenario to protect them. The reason they go to such incredible lengths and bizarre fantasy almost, science fiction wise, is because they themselves are so terrified, as I say, of the people. Because they, they suspect maybe the people have good psychopaths down there that haven't come up yet and might want to take over. So that they go overboard in protecting their system which is not humane, it's a psychopathic system on profit and misery and fear, that's how this uh, system is run. <laughs> 